Well, good morning. I'm really excited this morning to be uh, starting a brand new series uh, with you guys, a teaching series, and um, we're, we're going to be talking for the next three weeks about what we call church renewal. Church renewal. And uh, I want to try to explain some of the stuff that's sort of been brewing in the hearts of some of the leadership in the church for several months now and how it's going to work out in practical ways for us as a church. So that's really what I'm hoping to do today is that you'll go away with a really clear understanding of why we're doing what we're doing and what we're doing. Does that sound okay? So I'm, I'm hoping to explain that to you today as best I can and hopefully uh, the Lord will use something that I say to really trigger inside of your heart a desire to, uh, to have more, to really have more of what God wants for your life. So first, let's talk about the word renewal. Renewal, to be made new, something being made new. Of course, the Bible talks lots about being made new. We're renewed um, through our, in our minds, through thinking godly and biblical thoughts and and, uh, you know, and God likes to make things new. He makes people new. He transforms people. Uh, that's sort of a, just a general theme that you find in the Bible. And, and I guess there's two ways we think of being made new. One is, is that uh, when you come to faith in Christ, when you first come to really put your trust in him, that the Bible says that you are made into a new creature in Christ. You're made, you're made brand new. But there's also another part of that renewing that's not an instantaneous event, but it's also a process um, we, where uh, things that might, you, baggage you might have in your life, uh, selfish, sinful um, habits and hang-ups that are, are still clinging to your life over time uh, through the work of God in your life, those things uh, gain less and less, they have less and less power in your life and you're, you're being set free from those things. So you have this moment of where you're like, hey, you're a new person. You belong to God. You have his righteousness uh, as your uh, sort of protective coating or covering. Uh, when you come into God's presence, you can actually stand in his presence. You can be in his presence because of what Jesus has done and how he's given you his righteousness. So there's a way in which that's sort of that renewal. But then there's the, how God is changing and changing and changing a person who follows him. Uh, to be more like him all the time. So uh, you may start out struggling to love people, but as time goes on, God teaches you more and more how to love people and to love people like Jesus loves people, even to the, the full extent of uh, sacrificing for others and in ways that you've never done before. And that's just one example, but God is changing us. He's making us new. But the question I want to ask and answer hopefully today is why do we need personal and church renewal here in Canada? Why do we know, why do we need uh, transformation in the Canadian church? Well, when you bring it just home to our own church or any church in Moose Jaw, you know, you don't, renewal is not just something, or, or, or being made new is not just something that somebody did and everybody benefits from. I mean, this church is 90-some years old, so somebody back in the 1920s, well, many somebodies, uh, God really made them new. God changed their lives and continue to change their lives. And uh, that got passed on to the next generation. Now, here's the thing. It isn't just a case of, oh, I have a grandparent, like my grandma used to pray. She was a really praying woman. And so all the rest of us get the spiritual benefit, and that's the end of the story. 
Because every generation, no, there is, that's true, there is spiritual benefit that passes down from generation to generation. But every generation has to do the heavy lifting themselves as well. Or it, it, it ceases. You don't, you don't pass. They're saying more and more that uh, when kids look at their parents and they say, hey, I don't see the evidence that they actually have any sort of connection with God, that there's not much passed on in that. No matter how much you might say, hey, I'm a Christian or whatever, uh, there needs to be the evidence seen that you actually have connection with God. So in my life, I look at my dad who would, would get down on his knees on a green cushion. He'd be in a, had his bump cap on because he was off to the factory. To, he worked in a factory. And he'd have his whites, you know, white pants, white shirt, white bump cap. <laughs> and he'd uh, get down on his little green cushion and he'd pray in the morning. And I know that that's true because I caught him several times when I was sneaking down to watch cartoons. Uh, there he was praying. So that's great, that's a huge blessing. My dad was a praying man, but that doesn't mean I'm a praying man just because he was, right? God doesn't have grandchildren, he has children, right? So I don't just, you know, I'm a Christian because of my dad. I have to enter into these things for myself. And so every generation, especially in a church that's persisted for 90 years, every generation has to come back to uh, the call of God on their generation and what he's calling them to do. So let me tell you, I'm going to tell you some good news and some bad news, and, and some of it might sound uh, depressing to you, I hope it doesn't, but let me, let me share you a little bit of stuff that I think we have to take into consideration when we talk about renewal. Uh, so why do we need personal and church renewal in Canada? Let me give you the first answer, and that is that statistics show us that the church in North America is in decline. I've got, some glo I've got global good news and local bad news for you here today. <laughs> God is very active in the globe. I mean, the stuff that's happening around the world is amazing. If you go to uh, South America, what's happening in South America, uh, crazy transformations happening all over South America, and Christianity is spreading rampantly. Uh, if you go to Africa, they're actually, I think they say now, there are more African Christians than any other type of Christian on the planet. So sub go to the Sahara and go south, and uh, incredible what is transformed. Lots of those nations are 90% plus percentage Christian. And that's all happened in the last 100, 150 years. Incredible stuff has happened in Africa. Asia, amazing what is happening in Asia, all across Asia. I was reading some statistics. I'm, I, like, I get into demographics. It sort of interests me, you know, those things. You know, you see the charts of how the world is shifting and changing and moving and how countries change and how religions are growing and shrinking, all those things. You know, they say that there's going to be this 2050 moment if they say all the, if all the statistical trends are the same, that at 2050, there's going to be this moment where the two greatest, uh, uh, the two religions or religious followings in the world that have the same, will, will have the same numbers. They say right at 2050, if everything stayed the same, of course they won't, they'll change. They say that, that, that Christianity and Islam will be tied with the exact same amount of adherence in the world. And... Uh, uh, but, and that's, you know, conversations some people have been having for some time and saying, you know, these, both of these um, religious groups continue to grow at very rapid paces, and yet here's this moment where there's going to be this tie. There's a new thing that's coming into the conversation, and they're saying, they're talking about the wild card of China. So let me tell you just a little bit about China. I won't talk to you about other countries. Let me tell you about China really quick. I was reading an article by a, a sociologist, not, not a missionary, a sociologist, who's a professor of, uh, on uh, China studies at the University of Purdue. And uh, 
Now, what is his name? It's, it's a Chinese name, Yang. It's like Yang Tang. It has a rhyme or something like that. But anyhow, that's normal. That's, the, that's cool, actually. I wish my name rhymed. Uh, but Steve, pet peeve. No, I don't have anything. Um, anyhow, he, uh, he's writing on China, and this is what he said. And, and I've actually seen it on lots of spots on the internet, lots of different uh, places that are picking up on this story. They're saying that uh, the, this wild card is the growth of Christianity in China. Uh, they say that years ago, there was missionaries to China, and then the Cultural Revolution happened with Chairman Mao and the communists, and, and all the missionaries and, and Western Christians were kicked out of the country. And the th common thinking around that time was that the Christians that exist were rice Christians, and rice Christians meant that those, the Christians that were in China were basically sort of had connected themselves to Western people, and part of their connection was not uh, out of the best motive, it was the fact that Westerners had money and often would be able to benefit them by giving them rice, food. So they sort of called them rice, sort of these hangers-on of, of Western uh, and now that the Westerners were gone, and now that the Cultural Revolution had come, and now that atheism was the official religion of China, they would all disappear. All the rice Christians would disappear. Well, um, so they tore down church buildings, and they put church leaders in jail, and uh, again, expected that that would be the end of it. Now what happened was quite the opposite. In fact, this very small a uh, group of Christians began to grow, and uh, they went underground. Now, it was, there's a couple of decades there where it was, that was basically all there was, the underground church. And then the, the, the Chinese government decided they needed to control the church, so they created a government-sanctioned church, the, the three-self-patriotic movement, uh, this government-controlled church where uh, you'd be in a church and you'd have a, nowadays, there's a, a little closed-caption uh, camera up here so that they can record what the pastor's saying and make sure it's patriotic enough. You know, they speak well enough about China, <laughs> right? So there's churches like that, and they're actually quite full and lots of believers in them, but the underground church has grown and grown and grown. Because the church is underground, they have trouble with statistics. Some people say they think that there's 50 million Christians in China today, and uh, other people say it might be 100 million. But here's the thing that, uh, that the the professor from Purdue said that I thought was so amazing. He said that it's very possible because of the, the growth rate of the Christian church, which has been historically over the last 50 years, has been 7%. Does anyone do investing for a living? Anyone do? Do you know the law of 72? Anyone know the law of 72? You know what it is? Okay, a few of you know. Law of 72, okay, this is your free math lesson. The law of 72 is that if you want to find out how long it takes for something to double, you take the percentage it's growing by, and you divide that into 72. So you take 7% in this case. How many sevens are in 72? Well, 10 and a bit, right? 10 and two sevenths, okay? So that means that if something's growing at a 7% growth rate, it will double every 10 years. So this guy who's writing in Purdue, he's saying, the Christians, the Christians in China have been growing at a 7% growth rate for 50 years, and it's, and it's not slowed down. It's continuing. He says, here's the implications. In 15 years, in 15 years, it could be that, depending on there's, whether there's 50 or 100 million Christians right now, it could be that there's a quarter of a billion Christians in China if the growth rate continues. He says, at that point, there will be more Christians 
in China than there are in the United States of America. 15 years from now, I'll be in my 50s. <laughs> See, the world is changing. You know, when you think of a Christian, do you think of an older white guy? Or do you, you really should be thinking of a young Asian woman? Or maybe a middle-aged African man? That's what Christianity is now, and, is, and the growth is happening more and more. So there's global good news, but now I'm going I'm to switch from that and come to the local bad news, okay? Hope you can handle it. Stick with me. In 2009, an American Religious Identification Survey and American stats and Canadian stats are often very similar. Uh, usually our stats are a little bit worse than theirs. Um, but um, American Religious Ad Identification Survey uh, noted that 18% uh, of Americans attend church. And 18%. Uh, and that's a decline that's been happening over many years. Only 10% of Australians attend church, and only 2% of Europeans attend church. So we're talking, when we talk about the Western world, those are the, type, those are the people groups we're talking about. North Americans, Australians, and uh, Western Europeans. In, in the States, uh, they say that anywhere between 3,500 to 4,000 churches close every year. Now, there are churches that open there's an, uh, another about 1,200 churches that start every year, new, vibrant churches, but uh, that's not replacing the number that are closing. And uh, we're just getting, we're just sort of at this point in history where the growth in the Christian church has plateaued and it's just begun to decline. So while all over the world, where the biggest po pockets of population are in the world, the church is booming and advancing and it's actually awesome what is happening, here in North America, we're just at that tipping point uh, where we're starting to see decline. Now, this isn't just something that's out there. This is something that uh, comes home for us very personally. Uh, one of the statistics that's out there that uh, is very concerning, this is a Canadian statistic, is that 60% of youth in Canada who are actively involved in youth groups and going, and going to churches with their parents uh, are being lost from the church. When they're in that 18 to 29 stage, 60%. You know, a lot of churches, especially this church, I mean, every time I see the rows on the stage, I just think, if we only kept these ones, we would have to build a new building sometime. I mean, especially in this church. I mean, it's crazy how many babies just, I don't know well, how it happens. I should really look that up. Anyhow. <laughs> but the average church, the average church, 60% walk away from their faith in the 18 to 29 age. And when I read those statistics, I immediately think, we don't want to be the average church. By God's grace, Lord, let us not be the average church. If we're asleep at the wheel, let's wake up. Lord, lead us into the things that will help us be renewed as individuals and renewed as a church. And today I'm going to read you three statements, and we'll get them bit by bit as I go through my message. Three statements that Jesus said about the future. 
three little passages of scripture that, that talk about the future. He was talking to his disciples and he was talking about what was to come. First one's out of Matthew 24. Let me read this to you. He says, this is what the future. He says, then, in the future, you'll be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. And you'll be hated by all nations because of me. And throughout history, Christians have at different points uh, sort of ebbed and flow on the being hated meter. Uh, but it's definitely true that lots of them are, lots are being persecuted today and uh, being hated and all sorts of things. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. That's the amazing thing. Not only will people turn away from the faith, faith who were, who were, you know, calling themselves followers of, of Jesus, they'll, they'll attack each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm, here's a hopeful statement, here, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So this, this what Jesus, he's describing this great falling away. When persecution comes, there'll be this great falling away. Now I know you might think, well wait a second, the church in China, they're being persecuted, they've been mistreated all these years, and they're growing by leaps and bounds. So maybe if persecution comes to Canada, then the Canadian church will grow by leaps and bounds. And I think that's actually a very um, possible scenario that that could be what happens. Here's the thing, though. I think initially when persecution comes, there is a great falling away. I think the great falling away comes first. In fact, I wonder, I wonder if the conditions of the Chinese church were suddenly forced upon the Canadian church how many would say that following Jesus was just simply not worth it anymore? Imagine if all our church buildings were suddenly closed down and all the church leadership was imprisoned. What's the next step? How easy would it be for the North American church to organize itself? How easy would it be for them to function as the church how easy would it be for them to spread the truth about Jesus to the culture around them? Would the church be strong enough to reorganize and form a comparably sized underground movement? How many people would fall away? Literally, they wouldn't make the transition from this church as we know it to an underground form of church. This is all hypotheticals. I'm not saying that this is for sure coming or anything. I'm just saying, just how many would make it? How many would say at that point, boy, following Jesus just got really hard? A lot harder than I'm ready for. And they'd fall away. So let me lead right into the great, let me read into the second statement. And basically this is... Uh, why we need church renewal and personal renewal today. We're not prepared for persecution that might come. Now here's the thing. Let me just throw this out there because I know probably right now you're thinking, is Steve just think of some terrible apocalyptic dystopian future? Is that how he thinks? Oh, we finally know how he thinks, right? That's, oh, that's what he thinks. He just watched the Hunger Games too many times and now he's just, you know, thinks it's gonna be, 
you know what, I really don't know what it's going to be like for the Canadian church in the future. Right? That's the problem about predicting things, especially the future. Nobody really knows. Right? Now, Jesus gives us some clues in what's generally going to happen for the church in the future. Now, it's tricky because you read that, and if you live in Syria, you go, oh, yeah, well, that's obviously, we're hated, and we're despised, and we're run out of our homes, and we're killed, and oh, I guess that's today. We're, so if you're living in Syria, you're like, we're in the end times. <laughs> and you're living in Canada, and you're like, hmm, being a Christian, how hard is it to be a Christian in Canada? The persecution's not that over, it's not that significant. But I think that there's, I think there's probably, let me place two scenarios before you. One is the worst case scenario that it could, could it be possible that we could experience what the Chinese church has experienced or the Syrian church has experienced or whatever, different churches throughout history. So there's the worst case scenario. I think it's okay to keep that in view and probably a good idea to keep that in view. That why should we really be the only, the Western church be the only church on the globe that avoids persecution? So I think we should keep that in view. But is that going to be Canada's reality in the near future and in your lifetime? I don't know. Maybe not. So let's look at something that's a little bit more attainable. Let's look at something that's maybe a little bit more uh, likely to happen in the near future. Okay? Right now we, we see Christianity and Christians... Uh, being rejected uh, in a very new way, very new way that we haven't, I think, experienced before. Maybe uh, 50, 75 years ago, they'd be rejected because they were holier than thou, or they're just a bunch of people who say they're godly, but they're hypocrites. So there's lots of reasons why maybe Christians might have been rejected years ago. But I think there's something new on the horizon, and I, I found it quite fascinating, and that is the thought that Christians themselves are actually evil. Christians themselves are actually are actually evil, viewed as evil. Um, I, I've been seeing this more and more, how Christians are being framed as being unloving. Now, sometimes Christians are unloving, and it's true, and you have to repent if you're a Christian and you're unloving, because our master told us, love God, love your neighbor, and love your enemies. So an unloving Christian is an oxymoron. So if truly Christians are not lo loving people, well then, we, we have no recourse. We have to go before God, repent of that, and ask for his forgiveness, and maybe ask other people for forgiveness, and learn how to love. Say, God, renew me, change me so that I can love people. But here's the, the, the other thing that also is happening, is, is sometimes Christians are being framed as, as being unloving, and it's not true. You could be framed as hateful today for just holding a difference of opinion. And this is where a very subtle form of persecution, I don't know if it's, we should even call it that, comes in, and I wonder how strong the church is to withstand it. A famous atheist that many of you might know the name, his name is Richard Dawkins, he told his sort of followers, uh, and they really are his followers, he has a very rabid crew that sort of you know, champions some of the things he said. He told his followers, here's your approach that you need to take when regarding Christians. Mock them and ridicule them. Mock them and ridicule them. I thought, why would he say that? Does he know something we don't know? 
Does he know that the Christian church is so soft that if they were just mocked and ridiculed, they'd be easily moved off of the positions and stands that they hold? Does he actually believe? And here's the other thing. Is he actually right? Is the North American church so anemic because we've had so much abundance and so much blessing and prosperity for so many years that actually it would only take mocking and ridiculing for some people to abandon their faith. That got me thinking. That got me really thinking. Would following Jesus be too hard for us if it meant being continually marked, mocked and ridiculed? Would that be enough for us to throw in the towel and abandon Christ? Is the church in North America actually at that position now? You know what, here's the one that really gets me as a, as a parent, is um, it seems like another thing that's happening culturally is, is there's, not, there's less and less um, room for dissent. Uh, you know, like, you know how you agree to disagree? It seems like that's sort of the, not as popular anymore to agree to disagree. It's actually more like, let's just agree, and here's the thing we should agree about. It seems like we're losing that in our culture, and I wonder how far it'll go. I don't know. But, but here's where it comes home, again, for me as a parent, is that uh, I always, I must be the worst person to do a parent-teacher interview with. I, I get in there and, you know, I, I'm, I'm smiling and I'm friendly and I ask lots of questions. But if I have this sense that you're not telling me all that you should be telling me, then I get really nosy. You know, I get, and why are you doing that? And what exactly is in the curriculum? And exactly what are you teaching? Right? I, I, oh man, I feel for all the teachers who have ever, ever had my kids in their class. Because I'm sort of like, wait a second, I should know these things, and you should be telling me these things. Anyhow, whatever. Um, here in Canada, there's just starting to be these, these inklings of this um, loss of parental rights, I guess I would call them. Okay? So like in, in Quebec, uh, they made a law, you're not allowed to pull your kids out of ethics class anymore. Because, obviously, the government has better ethics than you do. So, I always thought, oh, I don't know if I'm comfortable with that. Right? In Alberta, they, they said to all the homeschooling families that you can homeschool your kids, teach them all these subjects, we're totally cool with that, as long as you teach them this ethics and sexuality portion as the government has defined it. Like, can't we just do that ourselves? Do we actually have to agree? Can't we agree to disagree? Can't we look at something and say, actually, I don't agree with that. Can we sort of do something a little different? I wonder how much dissent is going to be allowed in the future. This has come home for uh, people in the medical profession, right? Um, I have an uncle who's a doctor, and he's retired really now, and, uh, but he had, you know, lots of years where, you know, he'd bump up against his own conscience would bump up against things in the medical field. And he was a doctor who chose not to do abortions uh, throughout his whole medical practice. And mostly that was respected, but occasionally, you know, you get those moments where, you know, that wasn't always looked positively on, whatever. When I talk with him, he's very concerned for young doctors today, right? Some legislation's coming in in many places about euthanasia, right? Where doctors are... are, are the, the window of their freedom of conscience is closing and closing and closing and they're having less and less ability to say, uh, you know, I don't want anything to do with that. I'm really just all about life, not really about 
uh, some of those other choices that might violate my own conscience. So I wonder how these things are going to come. And, and, and again, this is small potatoes compared to what's happening in the global church. But even a small pebble can knock us down if we're not standing firm. Now, I didn't paint a super scary picture. And I really don't want us to be a fearful church. And I do want to say a real sort of cautionary warning here. Because every time you hear pastors sort of go down this road, you think, man, we should just abandon it all, leave our houses, go live in a commune somewhere. I don't know what you think. The response, I think, is not fear, actually. The response is definitely not fear. And definitely, 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 the response is not disengagement from culture. It's not disengagement from culture. In fact, our culture needs us to engage more than ever. They need us to engage more than ever. You know what? In the darkest points of history where Christians were like, this has gotten really, really unfriendly, Right? The Roman Empire, one of the shining moments for Christians in the Roman Empire was, again, they were the persecuted people, they were being killed and slaughtered and yet growing and rapidly multiplying as a, as a movement. And then the plague swept through Rome. And everybody knew that that sick person in your family meant death for you too, and they left town, except for the Christians. And the Christians stayed and they tended the sick and died alongside of them. Because they lived by a different drumbeat. They didn't disengage at that point because they realized we're here to make society better. We're here to be salt and light. I think one of my great favorite is I just discovered this this year when I was reading through the story of Elijah. There's this other character called Obadiah. And Obadiah, he does two things. He's a a high-ranking official in the most evil government Israel ever had. Ahab is the king. Jezebel is his wife. They are killing everyone who is a prophet of God. There's a massive slaughter going on of anyone who is a spiritual leader in the country. Obadiah is a follower of the true God, and Obadiah is also a high-ranking government official. You see him doing two jobs. One is his spy job, and that is he takes a whole bunch of prophets and he hides them in a cave and they live. The other job is partnering with the most evil king, Ahab, to find grazing lands for the horses. So here's a guy who, on one hand, is like, this government is making terrible choices, and so I'm going to be civilly disobedient in secret and hide away these prophets of God. And it matters to our economy that we keep the horses alive. So I'm going to partner with Ahab, and he's going to go north and look for grazing lands, and I'm going to go south and look for grazing lands so that we can, out of this, keep the horses alive and bless our nation. Amazing. I think that's going to look what the future is going to be looking like for a lot of us as Christians. We're going to get in those moments where we're going to say, I can't go along with this, but I can find another way to partner. I, I think it's so essential that we continue to do this kind of stuff. That we continue to find ways to bless our community. That we partner with people who aren't believers. We're going to make some strange partnerships in the years to come, and we're going to have to be wise about it, but you know what? I think it's really important that we keep blessing our city, blessing our our nation, blessing the people around us, and at the same time, there'll be moments where we have to say, I can't participate in certain things. 
So I'm going to just double down here. Because I'm, I'm meant to be a blessing because God has set his people apart to be a blessing, blessing to the nations of the earth. So I'm going I'm to continue to do that. So please don't disengage. Please don't run from society and culture and people and, and teachers. All those people. <laughs> Engage. Stay in the game. Our culture around us needs us. Jesus gives us this great warning in John 16, 1-4. This is the second passage I want to share with you about the future. All this I've told you so you'll not fall away. That's my intention today too. I'm not telling you this to get you all bummed out. I'm telling you this so that the end result for you is actually wonderful. That you'll stand with Christ even when it's difficult. So all this I've told you so you not fall away. They'll put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they're offering a service to God. Right? Getting rid of the evil people. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I've told you this. Why did you tell us this, Jesus? I've told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I told you that this might be coming. Jesus was, one thing Jesus did so great for his, his followers was he told them that this was not going to be a cakewalk. That actually they would have to take up their cross to follow Jesus. And so, when the time came, they weren't surprised. They knew that this was part and parcel of following, following Jesus. In the average church, many will fall away. And again, I told you that we don't want to be the average church. We prayed for you in the staff meeting this week. We pray every week together as a staff. We meet for, and like we have our staff meeting, but then a big portion of that is reading the word, listening to God, praying together. This week, a big prayer for our church was that he'd have mercy on all of us. He would strengthen all of us. So that no matter what comes, we would stand in the strength of the Lord and be able to, and not fall away. So we've been, you've already been prayed for this week, so I'll just let you know in case you're wondering. Let me give you the third reason why church renewal and personal renewal is necessary. And that is that the church has lost, has lost her holiness. Um, the church has lost its credibility is, is one way of saying it, but, but it really is, it comes down to holiness. You know, there's some stuff out there that just makes you cringe. You're like, oh man, I'm a Christian, but I don't want to be lumped in with those guys. <laughs> I saw a video just a little bit ago, and it was like, oh man. It was too, like, TV evangelist type guys, and they were talking about how they really needed private jets, and how they were really important that they had private jets. I was watching it, and I was just like, cringe, cringe, cringe. <laughs> I was like, oh. And you know, sometimes you just come, you know, you just come across like totally tone deaf to the people that are going to hear what you're saying. And I just was like, oh, I thought, you know what? Those guys are probably still going to heaven. They're probably my brothers in Christ. And uh, you can't pick your family. <laughs> That's his reality. But it's not just this. It's not just that sometimes there's embarrassing things that are said in the name of Christ. I think the credibility lost in the church really comes home to roost personally for all of us. You see, what is the difference between a follower of Jesus and one who doesn't follow? I mean, really, 
What if you have sort of decent Canadian A and decent Canadian B, and one's a Christian and one's not a Christian? Is there a difference? Well, there's things that God has called Christians to specifically that we can't slough off. You know, like forgiving everyone because he's forgiven us everything. We can't slough that off. So when you run into Christians who will never let a grudge grow and are full of bitterness and hatred, we've lost our, we lose our credibility. Loving everyone. Don't get options with that. Other people can pick and choose. I love that person. I really hate that person. We don't get that option. In following Jesus, we say, no, I'm going to die to myself. This is going to be awfully hard to do. In fact, I'm going to have to cry out to God to change me on the inside, or there's no way I can love that person who's positioned themselves to be my enemy. But we don't have that option. We're called to do it. And yet I think a lot of times we just sort of float along and we just sort of believe the, the thing that oh, I'm a decent person and a Christian, so that should be two things for me. But God wants to totally revamp our motivations. He wants to change us from the inside. He wants to rewire us. He wants to make us new. That's what we're called to, is to be renewed, to be made new. And so things that you say, oh man, I've never been able to, you know, that thing's always been a problem for me, that, that, those thoughts, that, that habit, those actions, those things, those hang-ups that just I can't seem to get rid of. God wants to come into those areas of your life and change those things. God wants to bring his truth to bear to some of the lies that we believe. He wants to give you the power to be able to do the things you can't do. Oh, so many times. This has been my new prayer. I can't do it, God. That's my new prayer. I can't do it, God. Because I used to just think I was a pretty decent guy and I could do certain amounts of things. And then I tried to do them. And I found out I couldn't do them. And once I found out I couldn't do them and found out that he could, I thought the fastest way I can get to the end of this struggle is to confess my weakness and declare his strength over my life. So I've been praying that lots. God, I can't forgive. God, I can't love. God, I can't, I can't speak for you in these situations. I clam up. God, I can't do this. I can't do that. I say those things all the time. Not as self-defeating statements, but to get past that. Because before I thought I could do all those things. Then I tried them. Couldn't do them. Now I'm on to the next track. God, you can do these things. Christ in me can do that. Christ in me can love that person. Christ in me can forgive that person. Christ in me can stand for Christ in a difficult situation. Christ in me can speak with loving words to somebody who isn't a believer but needs to hear how much God loves them. So I think there's a call for holiness, a call to repentance for the church today. John the Baptist said it this way. He said, produce fruit in keeping with repentance, which basically means that when you turn to God... You know, repentance is, is not just like a course correction, like, oh, I'm a little bit two degrees off. Now I'm on, right? It's 180 degrees, repentance. It's turning from, from sin and selfishness and making the whole world about me and turning towards God and making your whole world about him. So when we repent, that's the beginning. 
But then we cry out to God, God, will you produce in me? Would you work in me? Would you live through me? Producing the fruit, that's the, that's the, the good works that come out of being in and living a life in connection with him. Would you produce that? I can't produce it on my own. But would you do that in me? We won't be able to call the world to repentance if we're not repentant. We won't be able to call the world to holy living if we haven't responded to Christ's call on our own life for holy living. It'll be empty. And so, I believe that God's called us to a new level of holiness and and, uh, I don't think it's Again, I don't think it's something that you accomplish in your own. Don't be discouraged thinking, oh, well, I've never been able to accomplish those things. Now is not a time to focus. Now is the time to get over your, accept that you can't do it, and now is the time to focus on what Christ can do, what he can do in us. Let me read you one last um, statement by Jesus. This is Revelation 7, 9 to 14. This is good news, good, good news. He says, after this I looked, and there was before me a great multitude no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And they were wearing white robes, and they were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne, and all the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. So, I started with this talking about there'll be a great falling away. Let me now introduce the great coming to God. Jesus said both these things are in the future. Both these things are in the future. Now I wonder about the Chinese church. Before there was the great coming to God that they're currently experiencing, did they experience a great falling away? Did some of the rice Christians really actually, were they actually exposed that that's what they were there for? Just the rice, just the benefits, just the good times, just the association with Western rich people who would have helped them to advance their life, to achieve more, get more, have more luxuries? Was there a falling away? I don't know. I don't know that the records are there. China's never really been able to track the underground church. But I suspect probably there were. I expect probably that Chinese people and Canadian people are not very different at all. They're very human, just like us. And then I expect that some people want persecution and difficulty and constraints and the vice grip of a communist regime came down on them, they decided this was not for them. But after the great falling away, there's the great revival. There's the great coming to God. So I want us to be positioned. I want us to be ready. I want us to participate in the great coming to God that is to come. And so how do we get ready for that? Well, what would you do if you were a Chinese pastor before the Chinese Cultural Revolution? Or maybe an American missionary or Canadian missionary? You're either going to be kicked out of the country or you're going to be imprisoned. What would you do? How would you prepare your people? What if you knew that the building you met in was going to be confiscated by the government? You knew that you were going to go into prison 
and you know it's going to be illegal for your people to meet. What would you do? Well, I imagine that if you knew that was coming and you were like pastor of Chinese congregation, you would you'd probably say, okay, let's, we won't be able to meet as a big group anymore, so let's, let's break ourselves down into uh, smaller groups. Wouldn't that be a good strategy? Let's get into smaller groups. So, so you know a few people and you can meet and you can meet secretly and you won't draw attention when you know, there's 10 of you meeting together by the, you know, the well or out in the forest or, or wherever you're gonna hide in someone's back room. So let's, let's, let's organize in small groups. That's probably what you do. And then you probably say, okay, up until now, like every time you need someone to pray for you, you always came to the pastor, right? But I'm going to prison. So you guys really all need to know how to pray. You really all need to know how to pray. You come to me, ask me questions about the Bible, you need to know your Bible. You need to know your Bible, you need to pray. Uh, I'll get you organized into small groups. What else would really, really help? Um, you know what? We need to start practicing what it says in James. We need to confess our sins one to another. We need to be getting really real about how God has called us to a holy life. And so, um, if we're going to go through persecution for this, we better, we better do the real deal. We better live the real deal. So let's, let's, let's learn how to do that, to practice uh, uh, repenting of sin, turning from it, being cleansed from it, delivered from it, all that. Let's, let's learn how to do that together as a church. So you'd train in as much time as you have, and then eventually the call would come, and off to prison, and, and hopefully... Now, what if you're a Canadian pastor and you didn't know what the future is? Wouldn't you do the same things? Wouldn't you do the same things? Isn't the living for God the same really all over the world? But if you sense that somehow because of all these decades of, we've had of uninterrupted, easy following of Jesus, that we're not ready, then you'd, you'd have to do some training, wouldn't you? You'd have to do some training. And that's where we come to today. That's where we come to today. We really believe that not just because of some terrible dystopian future that could be on the horizon, I really don't know what the future is, but we, whether it's slight pressure on Christians in the future or major pressure that every Christian should be equipped to be able to stand against that pressure. And to do that, God's going to have to do some deep work in us. He's going to have to renew us personally and renew us as a church. And so, there are pastors all over Canada thinking some of these same thoughts. How do I get my people ready for the next chapter, for what the next 20 years looks like, next 30 years, whatever? How do I do that? And I'm glad that they are, and we pray for them. There's great, actually there's some really great pastors in the churches here in Moose Jaw. They're doing some really great things to prepare their people to really be uh, connected with what God's doing. That's awesome. So what are we doing, though? What are we doing? And this is where I want to tell you about just the three things that we want to train our church in. Okay, that's what God calls leaders to do. Equip people for works of service, train them up to maturity, all those things. So let me tell you about these three things really quickly. Okay, so... What do you got in your bulletin there? You got that hearing God thing? You got one of those? It's in your bulletin? How about you grab it out and wave it? Grab it out and wave it. Show me that you got one. If you didn't get one, you can still get one, okay? So we're gonna take six weeks. The first thing we're gonna work on is, 
is, is a, we're going to do a Hearing God seminar. That's what it's called, Hearing God seminar. We're going to take six weeks because we really think it's important for you and Jesus to be connected. <laughs> that you don't have to go through a middleman like Pastor Steve, but that you can actually hear God's direction for your life and follow it. Now, it's not something you'll do entirely as an individual. You do it in community. Obviously, that's how Christians, we function. We're, spent, we're meant to be in community, right? Well, that's what we're going to do. We're, for the next six weeks, we're going we're gonna to do um, some training. And this isn't training we'll just do once, and then we'll never do it again. But it's something we want to continually train our people in so that collectively our ears are really attuned to God's voice and that he can be the head of the church. Not just when we're here, but when we're everywhere. That he can lead us. So here's the, here's, let me just give you the rundown of what happens at Hearing God. Okay, so it's Monday or Tuesday, or Monday or Thursday. You come on one or the other. And um, there's a teaching piece. So we're going to watch some video, and I'm going to share a little bit, and then we'll do a teaching piece. So you get some good teaching, and that'll be helpful. And then there's a practical piece where we're actually going to practice what we're doing. How many, did any of you guys, I don't know if anyone's here who did the 1515 uh, with Laura and Chris? Some of you guys did that? Yeah, some of the hands up. You know what? We got feedback. We did this special sort of, uh, I don't know what it was, but a test pilot of some of this stuff. And these guys, I think there's about 18 people came out, and they would get together, they'd do some teaching, and then they'd go off and practice hearing God, practice trying to sense what God was saying, reading his word, all that stuff. And uh, you know what the report back was? Their favorite part of the whole thing was that. That was their favorite part, right? It was like, oh, I just went away, and I just got into the word, and I listened, and, and tried to sense what God was saying, and then I came back and shared that with people, and it was amazing. So that's what we're going to do. This. So there'll be a, a teaching piece, a practical piece, and then a take-home piece, right? Because we don't want it just to be something, oh, well, yeah, I, on Mondays I can hear from God, but Tuesdays I can't. We want to develop, obviously, a listening life. So that's six weeks of training. And uh, um, again, it's not the only time. It's not like you're going to go from zero to hero in one shot. But we're, we're really serious about uh, Jesus being the head of the church and for us to be able to hear his voice and sense what he wants to do in our individual lives and be able to do it. Then I'm going to tell you about two other things really quickly. So that's going to deal with prayerlessness in the church. Not that our church is prayerless, but we want more, more prayer. The second thing is the Set Free Seminar. It's, uh, it's going to be March 11th and 12th. So it's a weekend uh, retreat, really. It's a Friday night and then a Saturday. And uh, it's really going to help set people free from uh, sin and habits that is holding on to them, that they need to be, they need to be free of. Uh, now, I've, personally, I've gone through a set-free type retreat twice in, in the last year and amazed, amazed at what happened. I went to the first one, just really, again, I'd already been trying to listen to God, so I'm in this retreat already, sort of my ears are more tuned to God than they've ever been before, and I'm getting in there, and I'm like, God, you know, tell me about the things I need to work on. God starts pointing out stuff in my life that I wasn't thinking about, I wasn't aware about, stuff I need to deal with. Wow, that was awesome. 
And then here I am, I've got others with me, I'm telling them what I need to tell, and I'm confessing these things, and these people are praying for me, and just praying God's deliverance over my life. Okay, so then three months later, I go do it again. I'm like, I'm going to do that again. Now I expect it's going to be the same, because I already know what's wrong with me. God told me. I go there, I realize that the stuff that God showed me before, God has changed my heart in radical ways about that. For me, it was, it was an area of resentment and unforgiveness in that first one. And I got to the second one, and I realized I don't feel that resentment anymore, and I've, I have actually experienced this full transfer of forgiveness towards the people I was un- upset with. I was like, wow, this is great. And I met a guy I had met three months before, and he had been one of the guys who prayed with me, and I went over and I told him, I said, you know what? That's like a done deal. That stuff we prayed about, it's fixed. He goes, he goes I experienced the same thing and the things you prayed for me for. And I was like, wow. He goes, isn't freedom wonderful? I said, yeah, this is really great. God is working in our lives. So that's a set free retreat. It's a, it's a weekend retreat to, re, uh, to set people free from sin and restore holiness in the church. To help people become more and more like, like their savior because we're dealing with sin and we're not sugarcoating it. We're allowing God to work with us. And then the last thing is gonna happen in April. And that's the prayer summit, because we think it's really important for a church to learn how to pray together. And we have prayer meetings that happen, all sorts of prayer meetings happen in this church, different nights, different mornings, different ones, small groups pray. There's lots of prayer that happens in this church in pieces, right? But we really think it's important for us to come together as one big church, right? It's sort of like when you get all the fingers together, they make a fist. (laughs) In prayer, we want to do that. We want to access God's power to see things go ahead to see things changed in our church. And so that's what we're gonna do with those three things. So today, I really, I'm just explaining these things to you. I'm just sort of sharing a little bit of, of, of where, what we've got in, in store and where we're going. But I believe God wants to renew you and me personally, but he wants to do something collectively that's, that's gonna be really huge. I, ushers, can you guys just, I'm gonna get you guys to hand those, those out. So what they're gonna hand out now and this is going to be just something really helpful for you here. What they hand out now is what I hope is the response piece of this morning. Okay? So I'm not calling you to the altar call to repent today. I'm actually asking you to respond in very thoughtful ways with your uh, intentions and your calendar. Okay? So what they're going to hand out now is, is, is two things. It's going to be a, a piece on fasting. If you've never prayed and gone without food, which is fasting, um, Maybe this will be your first experience in that, or maybe you've done that before. Um, and again, this is something that Christians have done throughout the generations. Um, it's a way of, of really focusing themselves in on. I'm not going to talk a lot about fasting right now because you can read the handout, okay? So you can find out about that. What it were, but you'll see in there there's a card, okay? Can I borrow yours, Dave? You'll see there's a card in here. And we've, we've thought about... What need to be the big prayer requests for our church for 2016? You'll see four of them there. Church renewal at Hillcrest Church. We, 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 want to see, we want to grow in becoming a praying church, a holy church, and a unified church. Okay, you'll see that on the card. And then we want, prayer, we want to pray for our leadership team. I'll talk more about these in the week to come, but I'll just quickly do them. Our, we want prayer for our leadership team. If we're going to tackle sin and we're going to tackle people being set free well guess what the enemy's not going to like that it's going to get difficult and 
uh, we need to be united as a leadership team and, uh, and strong in leading you guys into those things. Number three, church renewal in Moose Jaw in Canada. Oh, wow, God really made this very clear to me in the spring. The days of competing amongst churches has to be over. It has to be over. It has to be over. We do not even have the luxury of that. We don't have the luxury of that. The days are coming, and I don't want to just be, I don't know if I'm prophesying or what, but the days are coming where you are going to absolutely need every member of the body of Christ in order to do what God wants to do. So we need to begin to uh, partner and, and pray and, 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 and uh, ask God for blessing on every believer who's, who's in Moose Jaw, that God would renew their hearts and renew their churches. And finally, our partners in missions, and we'll talk more about missions as we go. I think something that God wants to do in our hearts is as we pray for those who are in missions far away, Lord, establish in us that we are on mission here as well. That what we send out to the nations is something we're sending out because what's back here at home matches. So that's just a short version of that. But here on the back of the card, let me just give you this final thing. I know we've given you lots today, but just stay with me on the back. On the back of the card, there's, there's a couple things. First, signing up for the Hearing God Seminar. You can, you can check the dates just to re- reaffirm that those are the dates. And then we are doing a church-wide day of fasting. Now, that's going to be on the 20th, so that's, you've still got another week and a half before that happens. So uh, just you can look at those details. But here's the one. It's called it's C, Personal Prayer Goals for January. Um, the Bible says we have not because we ask not. So if you pray generalized prayers, like, God, bless me, that's okay. But there's probably specific things you should be asking God about. Specific things that you have not because you ask not. So I'm going to ask you to consider taking a really bold step of faith in your personal life in January. And that is to ask God specifically in prayer for a specific request. This will make a lot of us uncomfortable. But to ask God is for a specific prayer request. So it could be anything. It could be anything. Maybe there's somebody in your family who who doesn't know Christ and you want them to come to, to know him. Maybe it's a situation in your life that you want to bring before him. Prayer is going to shake you up. It shakes me up. Prayer is going to stretch your faith. It stretches me immensely. Prayer is going to help you get very, very real with God. But not general. Get specific. So just, even if it's just one thing, a big personal prayer request that you're praying and fasting about in January. And I think this is really essential for us to do because as we ask specifically... Then, when God answers specifically, it's a huge, I mean, the, the, the faith that rises up in our hearts when we recognize that, I, God, I brought this to you specifically and you answered it specifically, it's huge. So if you'd, I want you to consider taking that faith risk of actually asking God something specifically in January, okay? So that's, that's a little bit about this card. And then hang on to this, stick it to your fridge, Put it on your desk. I don't know where you, you'll see it again. 
but put it there so that you can continue to pray for that and hold that up in prayer. Let's stand together. Wow, you guys have been so attentive and I've been so long. Wow. I owe you. <laughs> I don't know how I'm going to repay you. I'll try to think about that. And don't say let you out early next week because that just never works. Um, let me pray for you and with you right now, okay? I'll pray for you, but you pray too, okay? You pray too. Lord Jesus, renew me, renew us. God, you've got more for us. You've got more for every one of us. Lord, you desire uh, for us to walk uh, not distantly from you, but intimately with you. You desire for us to uh, come closer to you. Lord, you are so good. You are so good. This whole thing, it's about knowing you. It's about walking with you. It's about having a relationship with you. You sent Jesus to reconcile us to yourself. And so today, uh, we don't want to just accept that in the head and, and say, oh, that's a nice fact or that's a nice historical reality. We want to receive that into every part of our lives. You meant for us to be close to you. You meant to us to walk with you. You meant to, uh, for us to partner with you. You meant for us to come into an intimate relationship with you so that we can be changed and that we can access your power that allows the world to be changed. So God, we just make ourselves available to you now. God, would you train us? Would you teach us to pray? We've been asking that for months. And we just did all admit we're still beginners. Would you teach us to, pay, to pray? We want to have a relationship with the Father, Jesus, like you have. And so would you, would you lead us into that? You're the head of the church. We belong to you. So lead us. In your name. Hey, if you come